We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I can't believe it. That Gerald is presenting the quarterly budget report with finger puppets? Look, here comes a 1.7% decrease in fixed overhead. Hello, everybody. No, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Who are you? The projected increase in organic Q3 revenue. Hooray! Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. You are listening to Rotoviz Radio, a fantasy football podcast, with your host, Matthew Friedman. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. the Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Today we are talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. In between the NFL Combine and the draft, I'm interviewing beat reporters for every franchise, 32 teams, 32 beat writers, and 32 episodes. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. For this episode, I'm joined by Jay Morrison of the Dayton Daily News and Cox Media Group, where he is a beat writer for the Bengals. In this episode, he talks with us about the team's multiple needs on the offensive line, the Bengals' bullishness on its young skill position players, and where Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis are in their career arcs with the team. One quick and unfortunate note. In the middle of my conversation with Jay, Fortunately, right after we had finished talking about most of the offensive players, my mic cut out for a few seconds and the recording device stopped recording. So the second half, the second half of the conversation is lost um, because I'm a donkey. But don't worry, I do give a recap of what Jay talked about and then I also give a few thoughts on our conversation and we still have a solid, I believe, 12 minutes or so with Jay. Before we get to the guests, I'd like to remind you that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the premium NFL content on the site, and it supports the pod. 
All right, let's get to the guest. Please welcome to the show Jay Morrison of the Dayton Daily News and Cox Media Group. You can follow him on Twitter at jmorrisoncmg, where he provides up-to-the-minute news on everything to do with the Cincinnati Bengals. Jay, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Yeah, glad to join you. Uh, it's a fantastic time of year. Uh, we've had the Combine. Free agency is now starting to wrap up, and then there's this fantastic buildup to the draft. Uh, so it'll be interesting to, to think about what the, the Bengals might be doing for their draft plans. But first, let's kind of recap a little bit of free agency uh, and looking at 2017. The team really struggled with the offensive line, uh, especially without longtime left tackle Andrew Whitworth. Uh, but this offseason, they were able to swing a trade with Buffalo, acquiring Cordy Glenn from the, uh, the Bills in exchange for first-round picks. Glenn has been injured for chunks of the last two seasons. What are the Bengals expecting to get from him? Uh, well, they're hoping to get 16 games uh, of, as a, of a starter um, at left tackle. I, I think he, he's going to go into to camp as the starter at that position. Um, the, the good thing is the the contract, if, if he is hurt this year, he doesn't work out for whatever reason, they can get out of this deal. Um, after one year without um, any kind of major hit. So it, it really, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to go sign someone in free agency, or if you're going to draft a, a kid out of college with the first round at that tackle position, you're, it's going to be much more of a financial burden. This is, this is really a best case scenario for them. They, they don't like to move down. They, they don't like to give up their, their draft equity and they move down nine spots to get Cordy Glenn. But considering the overall picture, I think it was a great trade, and uh, the the key will just be his health. I mean, everybody that Marvin Lewis talked to gave a, a good grade of Cordy. He's a good locker room guy. They, they like what they see on film. It's just a matter if he can stay healthy. Now, there are other issues along the offensive line. Uh, left tackle is obviously very important, but do you think that the team is done addressing the offensive line, or is that going to be a position they really look to address heavily in the draft? Yeah, they're going to they're gonna attack it in the draft. I wouldn't be surprised to see them take another tackle if the guy they want um, is there at 21, and uh, they've got to get a center. I mean, they, they let Russell Bodine leave and go to Buffalo, um, in a number of moves where Bills and Bengals kind of traded place, A.J. McCarron went to Buffalo. You've got, you got all this swapping. Preston Brown, the Bills linebacker, he came to Cincinnati. It's, a, it's almost like they've got this little symbiotic relationship going on between the two franchises. But, um, you know, Bodine started all 64 games the last four years. They traded up to get him in, in that 2014 draft and grabbed him in the fourth round, plugged him in as a starter. Um, he I don't think he developed into quite what they had hoped, but he was durable. He did start every single game, and it's it's a glaring hole now because the the only other true center on on the roster is T.J. Johnson, who was a seventh round pick in 2013, and he's kind of bounced around between the 53 man and the practice squad. He he started some games at guard when they had issues there, um, and then they've got Trey Hopkins who. Um, went into last season as uh, a projected starter at guard, and he did start at guard. Um, he can play center. And you, you've got uh, Christian Westerman, a kid they drafted a couple years ago who, who um, 
really they kind of buried the last two years. And then toward the end of last season, when they when they had all those issues on the offensive line, they put him in there. And the last couple games, he played really well. And when they drafted him, they they talked about his potential as a center. So they've got some guys that can play the position, but I think I think we're going to see him go after either on either in that first round. They don't typically like to take centers in the first round, but I think this is a case where they, they may need to. Or on the second day on Friday in the second or third round, I think they're going to address that position uh, very early. You know, over the last few years, I mean, really even longer than that, but the last few years, the team has invested a significant number of top 100 draft picks into skill position players. Uh, and recently, they haven't had much to show for it. So Tyler Boyd was his second rounder two years ago, and then John Ross and Joe Mixon were first and second rounders last year. All of those players to this point have, I, I think it's probably safe to say, underperformed expectations. What are the organizational, thought, the organizational thoughts on what these players can be expected to do for the team this year? Um, I, I think they are sky high on Joe Mixon. He, it was a bit of a, a disappointing year number-wise, but he really showed a lot of growth as the year went on. And, and this was a top-10 rushing offense the last half of the season. I mean, they really kind of got it figured out. They had to change offensive coordinator, really kind of had to scramble to piece together a new plan. And they they went away from kind of the zone blocking scheme and went to just more, running more power. Then they let their offensive line coach leave. He did. A, he went to Dallas. The Dallas offensive line coach, Frank Pollitt, came to Cincinnati and another kind of a, a weird swap. And they are really high on this running game, and they are really high on Joe Mixon. Um, he, he handled – Everything they did with him last year so well because they, I don't know how familiar uh, the listeners are, but they started Jeremy Hill every game and they started the first series and then they would do the same thing in the second half and then they would bring Joe Mixon in and it was really hard for Joe to kind of get in a flow, uh, but he, he never complained and he, he got better as the season went on. I, I really think the sky's the limit for this kid. He's he's just, I mean he just he wowed everybody and training camp, and then they kind of help put the reins on him, which they tend to do with rookies sometimes. They're going to unleash him this year, and I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a top five back. He's, he's just that good, and he's getting better as a pass receiver as well. Um, they're, they're, the arrow's also training up for Tyler Boyd. He, he was one of those situations. He came in as a rookie, and they, it took him a while to figure out how to use him. And then the second half of the season, he really played well, and he led the NFL as a rookie in third-down receptions. Um, had some issues last year. I, it was really strange. I, they, he was inactive for a couple games, and, and that was with John Ross, their first round pick, inactive most of the time. Um, but but he real Tyler Boyd really started coming around toward the end of the year, and he had that huge game winning catch in the season finale against Baltimore that put Buffalo into the playoffs. And the the offense coordinator Bill Lazor talked about what a giant boost of confidence that is for a kid like Tyler Boyd to make that kind of play to, to kind of carry him into the off season. I think they're expecting more big things from him this year. John Ross, they, they are really high on him, but his injury history, both in college and last year, it's still just a giant question mark. Um, it was really interesting at the, at the combine Duke Tobin, who's their director of player personnel, basically their de facto GM because they don't actually have a GM. But, but he said that the two receivers they took last year, John Ross in the first round and Josh Malone in the fourth round, they think both of those guys are better than any receiver in this year's class. So it's almost like they're getting another first round pick this year when, when they're, you know, they're going to be able to finally get John Ross on the field and healthy. Um, but until he can go out and prove it, it's, he's just a big question mark. Yeah, let's 
Uh, let's stick with, with John Ross a little bit as, as a follow-up question there. So right now he's buried on the depth chart behind at least A.J. Green, Brandon LaFell, and Tyler Boyd. How do you think the receiving unit will shake out? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's interesting. Um, it, a lot will depend on the draft if, if they target another guy pretty high. And, you know, you mentioned that I don't – I really like Josh Malone. I, I think he's going to su- surprise some people. He did some good things last year, didn't get a lot of opportunity, but – you know, he, he's one of those guys, he could push Brandon LaFell. They, they love veterans. They love Brandon LaFell specifically, um, everything he brings. But, you know, he, he's he's not a dynamic playmaker. He's just kind of one of those solid wide receivers. But he is starting to get on the backside of his career. And I don't think it's a lock that he makes this roster, especially if if, if um, Tyler, or I'm not, not, not Tyler Boyd, if John Ross and if Josh Malone really shine in the preseason you know, he, he could be one of those guys that if, if the writing's on the wall, I could even see the Bengals cutting him early in camp and kind of, you know, doing him a solid, so to speak, and, and letting him try to catch on with another team. So I, I would not pencil him in as one of the top three at the moment. A.J. Green, one of the best receivers in the league, but he will be turning 30 at the end of the summer. Are there internal internal concerns uh, about his potential moving forward, uh, the possibility of him slowing down? Um, I I don't think there are. Last year, I won't say it was alarming, but it was surprising. He had a lot of drops last year. I don't know. It, it, I don't think it was age catching up with them. I don't. It, it might have just been a lack of focus. Um, just the the way the season was going, it was it was really uncharacteristic. You just you don't see him drop balls at all, and it it happened a lot, and, and several of them ended up being interceptions and. You know, nobody's beating himself up more than, than AJ. Uh, he, he prides himself um, on his hands, on his game overall. He is He's the anti-NFL wide receiver. When when you talk about demeanor, it, it seems to be kind of one of those diva positions. And, and he's just a, a nose, uh, you know, just puts his nose down, works hard, does everything right, stays out of trouble. Um, uh, just a terrific guy. And I think we're going to see him come back with, with a real fire and a real hunger this year to kind of get back to, to the A.J. Green that everybody was used to. I, he, he wants to prove last year was an aberration. It was still a pretty solid year when you look at the numbers overall, but, but the drops really bugged him. And I don't think as an organization they were worried about it so much. I, I, it made him take note, but um, I, I think you once we get into training camp and preseason and and we see if, if it continues, then then the alarm bells might start going off. But I don't think that's going to be the case. I think we're going to see a, a rejuvenated A.J. Green in 2018. One other pass catcher to uh, to talk about is Tyler Eifert. Uh, he's been in the league five years. Uh, it, it feels like he's played only maybe a season and a half worth of games. Uh, he has tremendous ability to dominate in the red zone when he's healthy, but he's had trouble staying on the field. He's backed up by Tyler Croft. What is the team expecting from Tyler Eifert, and what is the, uh, I guess, the potential upside for Tyler Croft if he is able to emerge as the as a reliable piece of that offense as he was, you know, for a chunk of the season last year? Yeah, I mean, Tyler, I, that was big getting him back. Uh, he, he Tyler knew that he wasn't going to get a lot of guaranteed money because of his his injury history. You said it seems like a season and a half. It's been about two and a half. I, he's actually he's missed more games than he's played in, in his career. But when he is on the field, he's so dynamic, and it's it's not just the red zone. That's where he kind of that's where he shines. But he he really can open up the middle of the field, and 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 
he that, he was another reason why AJ's numbers slipped a little bit last year because you know when you've got him running down the seam you you've got to account for that and that just opens things up on the outside for the receivers. Um, they're they're hoping. That, I mean, it, it, he's going to have a nice contract if he hits all of his his escalators and and all of the incentives. But it's it's a it's a it's a low ball contract, which is what he figured he was going to get. He had a chance to go to the Rams for about the same amount of money. And, and Tyler felt like he owed it to the Bengals organization that stuck with him all this time to, to give what he said, a good season. Um, he says he's a hundred percent healthy. The Bengals say their doctors haven't actually looked at him. It was Tyler's personal doctor that deemed him ready to play. But you know, until you get an NFL doctor saying that it, it's a different matter, but all expectations are that he's going to be ready to go for, for off-season workouts coming up here next month and then into training camp. And with Tyler Croft, he's he, he's not as good as Tyler Eifert in the red zone, but he's, he's emerging as a very good red zone uh, tight end. He's got great hands. He, he's not as good as, as Eifert in, in terms of stretching the field and, you know, between the 20s, but he just doesn't have the same kind of speed as, as Tyler Eifert. But but he's a guy that that really, I mean, his production in the red zone was huge last year. Now he had seven touchdowns; four of them came in two games. He had um, two two touchdown games. But the thing to keep in mind here is Tyler Eifert, Tyler Croft, and their other tight end C.J. Uzama all are going into the final year of their contract. So I, I think that's a position they're going to go after in the draft and and. In another year, it might be something they target in the first round. And you know, they took Tyler Eifert in the first round. They took Jermaine Gresham in the first round. I just don't see that kind of tight end available this year in the draft. Um, so I don't think it, I don't think that's going to be an option for them at 21 in the first round. Probably more of a, a second, most likely a third day. But it, it's a position they're going to have to uh, address because, like I said, all three of those guys are going in the final year of their deals. Unfortunately, again, uh, my mic cut out and we missed the second half of the interview with Jay, uh, a Bengals beat writer for the Dayton Daily News and Cox Media Group. Uh, Just to recap, for the second half of the conversation, um, we talked about the defensive line. The team is pleased with the unit it has and it will likely continue to rotate players heavily. The big question is whether the team will be able to lock up Carlos Dunlop to a deal beyond the 2018 season. There's a need at linebacker, but historically, that hasn't been a position that the team has committed significant draft capital to. Uh, The team has had success developing talent on the cheap uh, with its linebacker unit, so it will probably continue to do that. In the secondary, the team has a trio of first-round cornerbacks selected in 2012, 2014, and 2016. Adam Jones also might return to the unit, but the team could still look to address the secondary at the safety position. Jay thinks that it's very possible that with their first three picks, the Bengals could add two offensive linemen and a defensive back. Jay and I closed by talking about Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis. From Jay's perspective, the team is still all in on Dalton. They think that he can take them deep in the playoffs with the right group of players around him. And for Lewis, he signed for two more seasons. Given that the Bengals are slow to change and they they don't like to pay people for not working, uh, Lewis is likely to be with the team for that time and maybe a lot longer if they make the playoffs and win a postseason game during that time. 
Here are my thoughts on the conversation with Jay. The team has multiple needs, uh, as we mentioned earlier, along the offensive line. When the Bengals still had the 12th pick in the draft, in my mock draft at, mock, uh, at Fantasy Labs, I had them taking an offensive lineman. Uh, I still think now that they are at pick 21, they're going to take an offensive lineman. Uh, there are a number of guys they could take. One of the problems, though, is that, I mean, Cordy Glenn is is there. He is there, quote-unquote, locked in left tackle. It's just a question as to whether he's going to be healthy, whether he's going to produce at the level uh, to which he was producing before his injuries, which have kind of incapacitated him for the last two seasons. Um, if you draft a guy in the first round, you typically want him to be a left tackle caliber type of player. With Isaiah Wynn, Orlando Brown, Colton Miller, Connor Williams, Mike McGlinchey, all of those guys have had experience in college, um, and they uh, they look like guys who maybe could have left tackle capability, but none of them is really locked in as a left tackle. Most of them are being projected to the NFL first as right tackles, and then maybe left tackles. Uh, so it, it is an unfortunate situation that you do have a number of round one potential guys at tackle, but uh, it's unlikely or it's it's unknown if any of those guys really has the potential to be the blind side, a long-term blind side protector. And that really is ideally what they would be getting with the guy they acquire in the first round. Um, there's also the the possibility if they don't look at tackle, they could look at a guy who's a, a center slash guard. Uh, that could be uh, James Daniels from Iowa, Billy Price from uh, from Ohio State, Frank Ragno from Arkansas. All of those guys have gotten, uh, you know, kind of borderline round one, round two hype. I think one of those guys would be there in the second round. Uh, so, you know, maybe they go with a, a tackle in round one and then a, uh, a center in round two. I think that would make a lot of sense. Either way, it looks like they will be uh, addressing the offensive line, which was really the Achilles heel for the, the team last year. So in, in some way, they do have to uh, address the line. Um, maybe not the best class, though, to be, to be doing that. So it's kind of an unfortunate situation. In terms of the Bengals uh, and, and their skill position players, man, they have invested so much into their skill position uh, unit since 2011, <clears throat> which was really when they started the process of reconstructing their team. Um, AJ Green in round one, Andy Dalton in round two of 2011. Uh, and then 2013, Tyler Eifert in round one, Giovanni Bernard in round two. 2014, Jeremy Hill in round two. Uh, and then, I mean, it, it continues. You have Tyler Croft in round three of 2015. Tyler Boyd in the second round of 2016. And then last year, John Ross in round one, Joe Mixon in round two. No team has invested as many top 100 picks into the skill position players as the Bengals have 
over the last seven years. Um, and so you think that this unit should be fairly stacked, should be fairly cohesive, and <clears throat> it's not entirely the case, uh, especially with the, the young guys. Um, the guys they've taken over the last couple of years, they haven't produced as I think expected or desired, but Joe Mixon, I think is going to be pretty, pretty special this year. Um, just to give some context on him. I mean, people know he was a, a second round pick potentially could have been a first round pick if not for off field issues. And, um, you know, I don't really want to get into that. You know, some people might not like him because of those things. And that's totally understandable. He also did, I mean, he underperformed just in terms of even of uh, efficiency. He wasn't nearly as efficient as people would want him to be at 3.5 yards per attempt. It might be possible to get him slightly on the cheap in dynasty leagues, although I, I do doubt that. Because um, still, on the whole, he's a a big-bodied athletic lead back who now is pretty much locked in as the lead guy for his team. And last year, he exhibited very good receiving skills, 30 receptions on 34 targets, 913 total scrimmage yards. Um, You can project a a pretty big leap forward this year. And I think that we should project that leap Uh, because one thing is that he was also very young when he entered the league. He was 21 years old as a rookie over the last decade. uh, There have been 10 guys total or sorry, nine total. Joe Mixon is one of them. Nine guys to enter the league as, you know, like big bodied first or second round volume based backs, like big workhorse type of backs who are 21 years old uh, and are 21 years old, you know, for their rookie seasons, for the entirety of their rookie years. Uh, let me list those guys. So Joe Mixon last year, Ezekiel Elliott, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, LaShawn McCoy, Beanie Wells, Darren McFadden, Richard Mendenhall, and Jonathan Stewart. That's a pretty impressive list. Even if you cherry pick and say, well, Darren McFadden was really kind of a disappointment given his draft range. And, uh, you know, Jonathan Stewart never fully developed into the guy that people expected him to be. Um, You know, he's not a good receiver, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Beanie Wells, you know, massive disappointment. Uh, Never really developed into the the person he was supposed to be for the Cardinals. Um, Even if you have qualms, with some of the guys in that group. As a whole, the group is very impressive. And every single player, literally every single player in that group had at least one season of 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. Like the the future is very bright for Joe Mixon. Uh, so there is a lot of reason uh, to be bullish on him, both in terms of just the, like the franchise, they should be bullish on him, and then fantasy players as well. Um, I thought it was interesting that Jay was... Uh, talking about Josh Malone as someone that the team was hyping or, or not hyping, but, but bullish on for the future. I normally doubt the ability of guys drafted um, in the fourth round or later who weren't big producers in college. Um, but it's possible with, with Malone. Uh, and part of it is because he does have good athleticism. He does have good size and the Bengals have actually done it before. Uh, they did it with Marvin Jones, who was a fifth rounder. Uh, they did it with Mohamed Sanu, who was a third rounder. So guys uh, with a comparable draft range, both of them have had NFL success. Both of them are, are veterans still in the league. So it's possible Josh Malone really could end up becoming uh, 
someone who uh, is a, you know, maybe not a fantasy, a fantasy stud, maybe not someone who's relied on uh, every week, but someone who does offer value and ends up becoming a contributing part of that team on a pretty reliable basis. That's possible. Um, I think it might be possible, more possible for him than for Tyler Boyd. I know Boyd is ostensibly a starter, um, but I don't buy it. I just, I don't buy it. Uh, his combination of size, athleticism, and college production don't match the profile of someone who becomes a reliable NFL contributor. And um, his draft capital helps him out. But at this point, he's entering his third season. Draft capital kind of doesn't matter at this point. What matters is that he's, uh, you know, a guy who isn't that big, isn't that fast, hasn't had great production to this point in his career and is on a team with other guys who are much better at receiving the ball. Uh, A.J. Green, right? Tyler Eifert, if he's healthy. Giovanni Bernard, Joe Mixon. Um, You know, how much do they really need out of Tyler Boyd? Um, I don't know if I necessarily buy him as someone who uh, will be ascending. Um, Much more interested in John Ross, and I think at some point, uh, I'm assuming Ross will be able to stay healthy. I think Ross, uh, if he still snaps from someone, it could be Tyler Boyd. I'm still on board with John Ross. Uh, he might be one of the few second-year guys who is cheaper to acquire uh, than he um, was as a rookie. Normally, the pattern you see in Dynasty Leagues uh, is that uh, you have to pay a certain price for rookies, uh, and then they actually appreciate in value. And so if you want to acquire them going into year two, you normally have to pay a little bit more. Uh, so most guys experience a price escalation in redraft and dynasty leagues. Uh, Ross, because he had such an abysmal first season, and I should say sort of like a even like <laughs> like unrepresentative first season, like he, he had almost no playing time at all. Um, so it's hard even to make some sort of determination on what that means. I think it almost would have been worse for him if he had gotten a lot of playing time and, and he had done nothing with it. Um, but because he, he had no playing time, I think the market on him might be depressed more than it should be. So he might be cheap to acquire. He's a guy I would still be interested in because his he's small, but his blend of athleticism and size is still, it still puts him in a comp group to guys who have had NFL success, uh, a first round pick, a, a top 10 pick. Um, there's a lot of draft capital there that the team will want to get a return on investment on. Um, and then he was productive enough in college uh, and, and versatile enough with his production to suggest that he really does have a shot of having NFL success. So he's someone I'd look to acquire. Um, in the second half of the conversation, I talked with Jay about Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis, where they are uh, in their career arcs. Man, uh, Dalton, I, I went to TCU. Uh, I will always have a very special place in my heart for Andy Dalton. Um, I was married on New Year's Eve of 2010, and the next day, Andy Dalton led TCU to a Rose Bowl victory over Wisconsin. Like, Andy Dalton is, uh, he, he's, I mean, he's like, you know, he's great. He seems like a great guy, really good teammate, good community guy, um, you know, but everything has to be right around him for him to succeed at this point. Or let me rephrase that. It seems as if that is probably the case. Um, I don't think he's just scheme dependent. I think he is 
sort of like all dependent. He's coordinator dependent and scheme dependent and personnel dependent. Everything has to be right for him to to have success. And my question is, uh, is that the type of quarterback you want on your team? I think pretty clearly not. Everyone would rather have a quarterback who can elevate the play of uh, of the players around him, uh, maybe help make up for having a poor offensive line, uh, someone who can, uh, you know, throw his receivers open, um, someone, <laughs> you know, someone who has good on the field attributes in addition to all of the other great things that Andy Dalton has. And, and you know, sometimes you can't get both. Uh, and so you just kind of have to choose what you, what you prioritize. But I think Andy Dalton is good enough to be the starting quarterback for that team. Um, but I don't know if he is the guy that ideally they would want to be the long-term option. Um, I don't, I don't think that means they're going to address the quarterback position. Um, but I don't know. You, you never know. Um, but I, I think, I, I think at some point they should. Um, I think, you know, Dalton is 30 at this point. How many 30 year old quarterbacks who weren't already great continue to get better after the age of 30? I mean, it's, it, it doesn't happen all that often. Um, Marvin Lewis, I don't know. I don't mind him staying around, actually. Uh, I, I think life has been a lot better with him than it was without him. Uh, and I think with coaches, it's important to have a pretty long-term perspective. Uh, <laughs> prior to his arrival in Cincinnati, the team was 55 and 137 in the 12 years before he got there. Um Four different head coaches, not one single winning season. That is horrible. Things haven't been good recently, right? Uh, the Bengals have two losing seasons recently, but you know, before that, they had four straight winning seasons. You know, they've gone to the playoffs seven times. They haven't won a playoff game, which is very sad. But they've been to the playoffs seven times. Um, Marvin Lewis is one twenty-five and one twelve and three as the head coach, he still has a winning record. Um, I think you probably should continue to give him more shots. Uh, I think it's, it's ultimately a net negative for teams to fire coaches who are, uh, slightly above average and then to replace them with guys that they hope are above average guys who are, you know, basically retreads. Um, so if they if they fire Marvin Lewis uh, at some point, uh, or if he he resigns, you know after his two year contract, um, you know I, I think he will have to go on a pretty bad run in order to make that happen, uh, and ultimately it might end up making the team worse, uh, especially if they if they can't bring in a certain type of forward looking and I would say like analytically driven and young uh, head coach to bring it all together. But that's going to do it for this Bengals-focused special edition of Rotoviz Radio. Be sure to check out the episodes for all the other teams on Rotoviz in the podcast feed. I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle. Thanks for tuning in.
Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotoviz Radio, the flagship Rotoviz podcast. Special thanks to Hassan Rahim, the producer for this episode, and to Colm Kelly, the assistant executive producer for the podcast channel. Please review the show on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. Geico presents Yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit Geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond. Pros have trusted it for over 50 years. But uh, why hire a pro when you can J.B. Weld it? J.B. Weld makes it easy to do yourself. We're proud to have J.B. Weld Adhesives as a sponsor. I personally know the owner. Hung out with these guys down at the uh, car show there. And um, I have all their products. What can I say? DIY projects, good auto stuff, crafts, plumbing, marine, all the applications. I use a product to fix Sonny's tennis shoe, save myself some money. Stromer used it to fix his tray on his wet saw because he's doing some tile work. Different product, but all made by JB Weld. JB Weld just acquired Herculiner, the original DIY truck bed liner. So if you're looking for the world's strongest truck bed liner, Herculiner, has you covered. J.B. Weld, right, Dawson? J.B. Weld is available at jbweld.com, Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, AutoZone, Advance Auto Parts, Napa, O'Reilly, Amazon, Michaels, and more. And remember, J.B. Weld Epoxy Products are proudly made in the USA. J.B. Weld, world's strongest bond.